Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to like the video and subscribe for future content. For more information about our one-on-one coaching and other training or nutrition options, visit giftedperformance.com. Our newest feature, the Gifted Express, offers premium programming for bodybuilders, powerlifters, Olympic weightlifters, and lifestyle clients for only $30 a month. Enjoy the video. We'll see you on the next one. And as always, stay gifted. Welcome back. Another episode of the GPP, Gifted Performance Podcast, giving you knowledge, practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. Everyone on the YouTubes right now, stop what you're doing. You've seen Matt before. You saw his backdrop before. It was a surfboard. Now it's bodybuilding trophies. He was threatened by the literal dozens of trophies that I have over here. This is a a fraction of my winnings over here. I've got so many more. You'll notice that he's done it. You'll notice that Dom has done it. Are you threatened by my bodybuilding excellence? I'm retired, Matt. I'm not a threat to you anymore. I'm extremely threatened. I can tell. I can tell. I can tell. but, But do you have a championship belt? I don't. I never got the belt. Never got the belt, and I never got an axe, but I did get I got that on your turf. On your you home turf, I got that. <laughs> you came down to my neck of the woods and secured that title right there. I should have jumped I feel, in last second. Now I feel insignificant, so I'm going to go get like a WWE like, championship <laughs> belt and like put it on the wall behind me. There you go. <laughs> uh, shout out to a former client of mine who now works with Annie Gunshow, uh, Pierce, who knocked one of my trophies off of the wall over there. Uh, she said a ghost did it, but his legs fell off and his head fell off. So what was one trophy is now three trophies. But I don't think you can. Yeah, you can't see that guy back there. All right. But what we're actually here to talk about today is what, Paul? What are we here to talk about today? Honestly, I don't know. I went to the bathroom when you guys were talking about that. <laughs> so we're having Matt on our first, our first ever three-time guest. You know why, Matt? Because we get so many shares, so many likes, so many views. We're going to milk you for everything you're worth. And then we're going to toss you to the curb like a chewed piece of bubble gum. We're done with you. You're out of flavor. Let's get the new hottest thing. But for now, the Matt Cassano is the f- the favorite flavor of the week. How does it feel? Well, I'm going to ride that train for all it's got, man. So we're bringing on Matt today. We had a little discussion on the last episode about diet breaks. And we said, you know, let's let's sit down and let's do an actual entire episode about diet breaks. So I want to start things off here. I want to get everyone's definition of a diet break. People people classify it very differently. Is it at maintenance? Is it above maintenance? Is it just below maintenance? Is it a week long? Is it two weeks? Is it a few days? Is it just a cheap meal? So, Matt, we'll start with you since you're our honorary guest. What is your definition of a diet break, and how do you implement that with your clients? Um, Well, I I think um, with a lot of what we talk about and a lot of what, you know, goes on with coaches, the the general answer is going to be it depends. Um, You know, it, it depends on what the the body is needing from that current client. Um, so from my point of view, uh, a singular refeed or a cheat meal, um, it is not going to satisfy what our, what our goal is. You know, the goal of a diet break is understanding that the, the metabolism has adapted a bit to the deficit and stress of, uh, of dieting. 
So we're basically trying to give it a break, whether we call it a diet break or a deload from contest prep, whatever it may be. Um, you know, we're, we're essentially just, just taking a little, a little break. Um, so in that regard, you know, I don't really look at, at a cheat meal as being too effective for that. And research has kind of shown that a singular cheat meal isn't very effective for that. Uh, I utilize singular cheat meals as a way to reduce cortisol. Um, because, you know, it can, it can spike endorphins and, and make somebody calm down and feel better. So that does have its place and its benefits, but I don't look at that as a benefit on metabolic function, really. Um, so when, when I do diet breaks, I'm looking at going from a deficit into more of a, a maintenance place, definitely not a surplus because their body their metabolism has already adapted. Their maintenance is going to be lower than what it previously was. So it's really just pulling them out of their current deficit, whatever that may be. You know, it, it could just be bumping them up 25 to 50 carbs, you know, an extra 200 calories a day, something like that. Um, and at the same time, I might also pull back cardio and training intensity a bit to help with stress and inflammation. So I might hit things from two different avenues rather than just giving them a huge um, jump in food. Um, it's usually pretty conservative uh, on my standpoint. And from what I've seen most of the time, generally four, five, six days is usually enough to get a solid response and then go back into a dieting phase. Um, what I haven't done, and we kind of chatted about this before, I've actually never strategically planned in advance diet phases. You know, I, I go, I adapt to biofeedback. So that's why I have clients checking in as frequently as every single day. And I just based on if, if they've stopped seeing results, we need a diet break. If they're seeing results, I'm not going to, I'm not going to jump the gun and put them in a diet break yet. Um, you guys might have a different thought process there. Maybe you can prevent them from ever stalling if you have it implemented ahead of time, but I just haven't thrown that in there just yet. Yeah, Paul, I think you're more on the proactive side with the, the diet breaking periods as opposed to the reactive, correct? I, I like both, but I do like to do some pre-planning, you know, and I think we all do. Like when we have somebody who has a diet or they need to be a certain leanness by a certain date, we're like, hey, by this point, we kind of want to be in this body weight range probably and this range. And then may maybe here we could fit in a little bit of relief or something like that. But um, no, I, I'm a bit of both. You know, I try not to stick to like hard definitions of like, hey, like this is a diet break. This is how you do it. This is when you do it. Um, like Matt said, and to his point, it's all about the specific scenario in and what that individual needs at that time and why you're doing the diet break. Right. And so um, but, you know, to answer your question directly, uh, I have had limited experience with just saying like having somebody in prep and saying every fifth week we're just going to take a diet break 
and it actually worked out really well and i did like it would i do that with everyone no i just happened to have been like really familiar with this person uh, being now my now wife and dieting her for uh, a few different contest preps you know and it worked out great and something i would like to do with more people because i mean i think we can all see from this aspect too um what if you can prevent them from because once once you have the signs that you need a diet break or that somebody is just like hey like i I, i'm on the verge of like breaking you've kind of already pushed them like i don't want to say too far but you've pushed them to that point like why not not get to that point you know what i mean it's kind of like why wait until you're beaten thrashed into the ground and uh, to take a deload right do you think there's a, a psychological benefit there as well of having those pre-planned diet breaks of like checkpoints? I look at it like it's like it's like one of those video games where if you got to a checkpoint, it like automatically saved your game as opposed to like completely restarting the level. It's like building yeah, in no. those checkpoints avoids, Paul, what you were talking about, that like huge binging or them completely breaking and then having to them restart the level or restart the prep all the way at the beginning. Exactly. No, it was huge, man, because her knowing it was coming, it was like, okay, um, I can, I, I can do this for another week or two too easy, you know? And then from my perspective as a coach, I'm like, I, I know I can push you a little harder than I normally would. And maybe, maybe we can just get a little ahead and give you some relief and then start that process over. Right. Um, and gives so for her, by the, huh? Gives him a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and for her, by by the end of her prep, she was the leanest she had ever been, dieting the longest she ever had, and she was kind of like, I feel like I, if I had to, I don't want to, but if I had to, I could keep doing this, you know? And how many people finish prep and say that? I think, sure. it's, I think it's almost the ideal strategy if you know you have a long season planned. If you know you're going to hit a qualifier, maybe there's a gap between your first national show. And if that national show doesn't go well, you're going to have to hit another one in in six weeks. Like if that's the plan for the year going in, you almost have to implement these things because a linear straight through straight down calories go down, cardio goes up. That's not sustainable for what's going to be a 36, 38 week uh, dieting period. I mean, it's the same. And if you ask someone the same thing about training, they would say the same. Like, are we just going to progressively overload for the next 36 to 38 weeks? Just keep adding reps, keep adding weight. And people are like, no, that's insane. Well, you can't do the same with your diet. Like, it's the the same rules apply there. There's still stressors that needed to be alleviated with these deloading or diet breaking periods, whether it's psychological, whether it's physiological. These things are, it's a non starter. It has to be built in at some point. Yeah, Dom. I have a. To that point, um, I I think that preps, wherever this idea of preps are generally twelve to sixteen week, you know, situations, I think that just needs to be thrown out the window. And and for the most part, preps should be longer. I think almost everyone, I would say nine out of ten people, have an unrealistic time frame for how long it's going to take to get lean. And they also have an unrealistic idea of how much fat they actually have on their physique. And so by creating a very long, smooth prep, you also take away the whole stress of a deadline, you know, 
Um, so I, I think there's multiple uh, benefits of just planning a, a much longer prep in advance with the diet breaks uh, and stuff incorporated in there. How many, time, how, how many times do you think you've asked a client, how much do you think you've had to lose? And they nail the number perfectly. Zero. <laughs> zero. <laughs> one, zero. One thing I want to throw out and going along with what he just said was uh, for this particular prep, because it was COVID, there was a lot of uncertainty and show dates kept getting pushed back. And so her prep did end up being, um, I think pushing 30 weeks or something. It was a very long prep and that was not the initial plan, but being able to take those diet breaks was not only beneficial psychologically, but it's sort of, um, I, I don't know what the right word is more like artificially or just imposed, uh, sort of, it, it made us slow down the dieting period basically. Right. And so what we ended up seeing was, she ended up finishing her prep and not doing nearly the amount of cardio that she normally did or eating as low of food as she normally did and uh, getting leaner than she ever has. Like I would, she would maybe do a little bit of cardio like the week before a diet break, maybe two weeks before a diet break. And when I say a little bit, like, you know, maybe like 20 minutes most days. Um, and then there was a point where I was just like, I don't even think you need this cardio. And so I didn't have her do any, uh, any, uh, like machine cardio. I, I had her keep her steps up around eight to 10 K a day. So that is a decent amount of activity for sure. Yeah. But then she didn't do any real cardio again until like three or four weeks out. Yeah. Sorry, my dogs are going wild. Uh, Dom, I want to throw one to you. Uh, I'll let you answer the first question first. I'll let you. I'll tolerate it. Um, and then I want you to speak a little bit to what are some of the adaptations outside of like stress or cortisol that occur during a diet? And maybe what are the time frames that those occur over? So an example might be like the like thyroid downregulation during a diet. You usually see that downregulation in the first couple weeks of uh, the dieting. So that might be an example. But first, what's your definition of a diet break? Well, probably the same as both of these guys. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> say something different. Just like, yo, my version of a diet break is, you know, well, like, we'll go I'll to Universal and they eat like turkey legs. I, I feel like I give more cardio breaks than I do diet breaks. Like, uh, I probably will tell somebody to <clears throat> not do their cardio for the week more than adding food back uh for a couple days or I'll give them like no cardio for the week and just like three high days in a row and like make sure those high days are way over their maintenance and then that's it. So it's not like a extended like week of high calories with no cardio. But I feel like because periodically I'll tell people like, Hey, cut your cardio in half or don't do any this week. I feel like doing those in like small increments throughout prep T uh, stop me from having to do like a full week of food or things like that. Um, but uh, I, I like doing that. And I think actually clients enjoy it more. I feel like I have way more clients that hate the cardio more than the dieting. I think it can go both ways, but I think you, you bring up a good point. You know, a, 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 maybe a better terminology is a deficit break. 
over a diet break. So one way or another, we're changing the deficit, whether it be through activity or, you know, food intake. But that, that's really the end goal is changing the deficit, not so much how much they eat or how much they burn, you know? What do you think causes more internal stress, uh, a hard food deficit or a high calorie activity deficit? Um, I would say the, the activity is more damaging if, if we're going to use the terminology. So like if I'm, if I know somebody is, is really adapted and not responding, I'll pull all possible stressors and just rely on dieting to continue seeing results. And I've had a lot of success with that. I've had girls four weeks out of national shows doing zero cardio, only lifting three times a week, zero PEDs pulling all total accumulated stress, but I'll focus just on the dieting aspect and we'll still see results. Well, I think that um, I'm sure a lot of us have maybe seen this at some time where it seems like when you strongly rely on activity and cardio to be the driver of fat loss, things don't really work out as cleanly it's almost like hey the bulk of our deficit and i think ryan you've said this you said this to me years ago like the bulk of your deficit should be probably from the diet you know and then the cardio and the activity you're just kind of tapping on the gas a little more right yeah so i i've always been of the belief that the majority of the fat loss the impetus for fat loss of what's actually driving it is going to be from the diet and the cardio is merely an accelerant. So yeah, like stepping on the gas. Like if you step on the gas and you, you know, you really apply that cardio, that larger deficit, if you let go of the gas, like the car is going to keep moving. Fat loss is going to keep moving along because the diet, the deficit from the diet still exists. It's going to slow down over time. The car is going to slow down over time because your metabolism is adapting, but you're going to continue to see incremental fat loss, even with the removal of cardio. If you remove cardio and fat loss completely stops, then you need to take a look at the deficit that's being created by the diet because it's not large enough. Yeah. I think that goes with the saying, you can't out train a bad diet. Right. Like you can't, you can't do cardio so much to drive that deficit. Um, which you even see like with people cheating and then trying to do an extra 500 cals of cardio the next day to, you know, fix it for lack of better terms. But, uh, I think that's a good point because that is something that a lot of people don't understand. They think they can do more and more and more cardio when really they're probably just stressing their body out over revving that engine way too much. And eventually, once those RPMs are constantly high, your you know your engine burns out. Yeah, too much systemic stress, and then the RT three is through the roof, and then you know you're not seeing any results. Yeah, and then we also have to think about recovery. But I almost look at it as we we still probably in most circumstances want some increase in activity, and we we almost want to look at maybe. Um, the cardio as what what actually it's intended to be from like a fitness standpoint and giving you like the tools to to um efficiently use fat as fuel and things like that like i think i had one of the best fat loss 
Sorry. Go ahead. What's that? Go ahead, Dom. No, I was going to say, I think I had one of the best fat loss phases when I, it was with Paul, it was when we focused on steps yeah. and food and cardio didn't come in until like the last three weeks of that fat loss phase. I think just increasing meat by itself has such a big impact on it. Um, even now, like I've moved from a condo to a house and my steps have almost doubled and I'm eating a lot more than I probably would have been in the past, probably because my meat is just higher. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I was going to say the same thing. You know, even if I'm pulling all cardio, I still make sure that they're getting their steps in and I'll almost always have clients doing calming outdoor walks after meals, whether it be five or 10 minutes, something like that to help with that process. So yeah, I mean, activity still has to be there, obviously. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast with uh, Dr. Ben House. He's a he's a really good one. We might want to have him. Dr. House, like the TV show. Yeah, yeah, Dr. House, <laughs> but Ben, um, and he was talking about like the difference in appetite regulation with kind of neat versus added in cardio. And I'm not an appetite expert, so I can't like speak to his point. And you'd be better served to uh, watch the episode of Iron Culture that he was on. But it seems like that low intensity neat getting your steps in actually has a positive impact on appetite regulation versus just going to the gym, doing like 15 minutes of like hit and then being done. There's some sort of interaction there with gut hormones that he was talking about um, and regulating appetite. So some interesting stuff there. And it seems like, Matt, from what you're talking about, you've seen it in practice as well. Yeah, for sure. What's interesting here is the three of us, well, the four of us, because I I do something similar. None of us actually put people, take people out of the deficit. We lessen the deficit by either reducing cardio or like Matt said, maybe just adding, you know, 52 or 25 to 50 grams of carbs, increasing calories by 100 to 200. But none of us actually remove the deficit, whereas it's pretty common, at least in, in the literature, for the deficit to be completely removed there, the, the individuals are put back at maintenance. So, so what do you, I mean, what have you heard people talk about or what do you theorize people are getting at when other coaches are getting at when they bring calories all the way up to maintenance? Are they trying to combat some of the metabolic adaptation? Is it a psychological thing? Is, is that based on a weekly deficit or like a daily deficit? So that would be, so uh, what I've seen most is, you know, anywhere from like one to two week, one to two weeks at maintenance, at new estimated maintenance. Yeah. Because when I do those back to back high days, like if I do three or four high days in a row for somebody, they're pretty over maintenance. They're at least 500 cals over. And I, and, and the reason I do that is because we could see in literature if we could get a good enough leptin response from that food, we can see a little bit of upregulation in thyroid output. So if they're, you know, not on HRT thyroid and they're just, you know, a natural competitor, if I can try to stimulate a little bit more thyroid response to come back from the extended dieting, um, it's usually better seen when food's a lot higher. So that's probably why you see people do that. 
Well, I'm not necessarily against doing more food. I think it just depends on the situation. But to that point, you know, it's it's recognizing the what would be their new maintenance level of cows because their their metabolism has adapted. You can't go off of what their maintenance cows was 12 weeks ago. It's 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 going to be lower now. So, um, you know even a slight pull out of the deficit is going to be beneficial because I generally what I do is, like I said, I, it's usually a combination of both pulling the cardio and adding in some food. So we might be pulling a hundred calories from cardio plus adding 200 calories. So then it's 300 calories a day. Um, but my biggest thing is, you know, it, it also depends on timeline. You know, it, I'm not trying to, take five steps back in regards to their progress. So I, I'm careful with how much food I give them. I'm, I'm giving them just enough to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish, but not necessarily overfeed them too. Um, so, so that's kind of my thought process with that. Uh, yeah, I, I want to throw out, because I, I, I've had this, I, I've said how I like to do diet breaks with people and, I've gotten the response of, well, that's not a break. They're not at maintenance, right? And that's why I don't like to put hard definitions on things because what are, what are we trying to accomplish? We're trying to reduce stress, you know, some sort of stress, whether that be psychological stress or, you know, stress to maybe their metabolism. But I'm not even sure we have really good evidence to suggest that we are actually getting uh, a sustainable improvement in their metabolism, Right. Um, but you know, for myself, I think a, a, a lot of us have maybe taken a more conservative route because we're, we're afraid, right? Like we're afraid to, um, lose too much time on a prep or whatever. Uh, but you know, what, what I've sort of found is it, it still accomplishes the goal. Right. And, and for myself, I, I look at it, I go into a diet break, like if we get some cool metabolic effect or whatever, that's great. But my main goal is like making sure the person survives and that they accomplish their goal and they actually get there, right? So for me, a lot of it is psychological based. And so um, as long as we add enough food to do that, to keep them going and feel like that they, they can just keep doing this and reach their goal, then I'm happy with that. And so a lot of times what I, I will personally do is I will, whatever their deficit is, I'm like, hey, I want to increase your calories by 10% of your estimated new maintenance, right? And uh, I, I'll just sort of watch that over like three days. I'll have them do a midweek check-in. And I'm like, cool, what happened with your weight? You lost weight? That's really cool. So we have room to add a little more food. Let me add in three to 5% to finish out this week. And if they have enough time, maybe we go two weeks, right? Or um, if they've been dieting for a long time and they're not in a prep and it's like, hey, we can just take two weeks, you know, let's keep increasing food and, and maybe work towards maintenance. Um, but if we're in a circumstance where, uh, we can only afford to take a week or maybe they're in a prep and we do that week. And it's like, I increase your food. You feel better. You feel like you can go back to dieting and you're ready for this. Um, that's great. That's what I wanted. But if we also still happen to have lost a pound or two, even better, we didn't lose any time, 
right? And that's shown me that you can keep dieting on more food than what I had you at before, right? So yeah, I mean, it, to me, great. it's still a win. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. And, you know, that's that's why I do the same thing. Everything I do is not set in stone. It's very adaptive. So, you know, the same thing. If, I, if I'm cutting cardio or increasing food, I want to see biofeedback in the next 24 to 48 hours to see what the body's response was to that change. And to your point, if they're losing weight, eating more food, why would I stop the diet break? I would just keep, keep allowing that process to occur. Maybe I never put them back into a deficit. Maybe we are reverse dieting into a show for the next six weeks and they're eating 300 carbs, losing weight into the show. Uh, it, it happens all the time. So uh, it, that's why it, it's just depends. You know, it might be it, it's I, I'm going to feed them up as much as I can until they start gaining weight. Once I start seeing a negative uh, impact from higher food and less cardio, I'm, I'm going to switch back to a deficit to, to keep our progress going. So that's kind of what how I I go about it. I don't have like, you know, a set calories or anything. It's just very case dependent. Two things. First of all, the people who come at Paul and they say, it's not a break if you uh, if you still have them in a deficit. It's not a break. When you have a break at work, do you leave work? Right. <laughs> Checkmate. Checkmate right there. You're still at work, you dumb motherfucker. The second part is, yeah, Tom, you like that one? Yeah. Uh, right up there. Had a lot of coffee this morning. All right. The second part is, Matt, I'd actually like to hear your input on what Dom said about kind of getting a little bit of thyroid upregulation from that diet break period. And if that's something that's even worth it, because if the if the thyroid then adapts in another one to two weeks and you just took a one to two week diet break, did you just trade two weeks at maintenance for the two weeks of how long it's going to take for your thyroid to adapt again? Are there other pieces that we're not thinking about there? What would be your take on that? No, I mean, giving the thyroid some love is obviously going to be beneficial. You know, going back into a deficit, there's going to be adaptation yet again. Um, But hopefully, if you are taking a step or two back, you're taking two steps back for five steps forward. So hopefully, you know, it, it, it does end up benefiting you in the end one way or another. Um, but, you know, to that point, I'm usually not solely focused on food to support thyroid and hormone adaptations. I'm also looking at throwing in some zinc, some iodine, some minerals, vitamins and stuff to help that process as well with, with the carbs uh, titrating up. Um, so hopefully I can kind of prolong that, that thyroid love a a little bit longer, but I think it's, it's safe to say that it's inevitable that things are going to downregulate again. If, if, if you go back down into a deep deficit and it's not so much that we're trying to avoid that. It's just that we are aware of it. And so we know how, again, how to adapt in the future. I almost see dieting as like jogging in a wind tunnel where the wind slowly gets faster and faster as you go along. And then like there's this track off to the side where you can step off 
and you don't have that wind in your face anymore. So you step off for your diet break, you kind of recharge yourself. And when you jump back into the diet, the diet's still going to be hard. The wind is still going to be blowing in your face. But what you've done is you've revitalized yourself. You've rested your legs, you've built up your energy, you've hydrated, and now you can kind of persist and continue going in the face of what is still a pretty strong headwind. Yeah. Dude, uh, where do you come up with this shit? Oh, I tell you, I, I like sit up, I like rock it out of bed at like 5 15 in the morning. I'm like, I gotta Yo, write this wind down. tunnel? A wind tunnel, man. Yeah. Yeah, I actually this is semi you, you just reminded me um when you said two steps back to hopefully take five steps forward. There was one particular diet break in her prep where she was fairly close to we we finally have a show date and we finally have a target. And uh, I can't remember if it was six, eight, ten weeks out, but it was pretty close. And I was like, you know what? Um, you've been dieting for a long time. Let's let's go big on this diet break. And uh, I gave her a substantial amount of food. Uh, and instead of my normal process of here's ten percent more food and let's inch it up over the week or two, this one was actually two weeks. I was like, let's go big. And uh, she put back on a good bit of weight. I can't remember how much. I think it was like six, seven pounds. Um, and I, I was terrified the whole time. I was like, this is going to end in disaster. I was like, I, this is not good. And then but at the end of the two weeks, though, I uh, pulled her food. Um, I think 10 or 15%, like what I would do for the standard person um, starting a diet over again. And by the end of that week, or maybe a little, a few, a couple days into the week after, she was hitting new lows again, like new PR lows for for that contest prep. And uh, yeah, I just thought that was super neat because I think a lot of us are, are afraid to see that happen on a diet break. Well, and that goes back to the deadline. You know, like I said before, the deadline stresses the athlete. But something that never really gets talked about is how much does a show deadline stress a coach? and cause a coach to question his or her decisions. If, if I don't have a deadline, I'm making much more rational decisions. But if we're four weeks out, I'm questioning everything. I have uh, a rule. Um, and whenever uh, this, this is something that like whenever new coaches ask me, um, like, you know, that just advice for coaching or any kind of mentorship, I'm like, Whatever decision you made, you know, for this week, stick to it. It, it doesn't matter, like, what happens. Like, you, you need data and you, you need time to see that happen. And I'm like, don't do crazy shit, like, two days into whatever decision you made and, like, you know, pull back on it. Do something different. Keep changing things because that's where you just end up with a huge mess. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went into that two-week thing and I was like, this is what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think something that we haven't really touched on yet, too, is the benefit, the performance benefit uh, of, you know, increasing food and and dropping that cardio. Their, their training's going to improve. Their, 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 if their strength declined a little bit, it might come back a bit. And so, you know, improving their performance in their workout can also then catapult their progress as well. Um, because obviously we know that, you know, as you get deeper into a, a dieting phase, your training quality is going to decline a bit. 
And I see yeah. that more. I see that more in my male clients than I see in my in my women where guys will be like, you know, I feel like I'm getting weaker. And it's like this huge catastrophe that they stress about. So again, right. if you throw them in a diet break, kind of refill up glycogen, give them a little bit of a, give their legs a little bit of a break from all the cardio. They start feeling a little bit stronger. All of a sudden they're not stressing as much. They go back to the diet and they feel stronger. So therefore they, they train stronger as opposed to this continued drop off in performance. I think a caveat worth mentioning here with diet breaks is we obviously have to trust the client is following the diet in the first place. Um, you know, we, we do have clients here and there where maybe they're not 100% on their diet year round, but then there's also those clients who you give them a little bit of extra food and they might go a little too crazy with that. You know, you give them an extra 25 carbs before you know it, they had a burger. Um so, you know, that's that's part of it, too, is you guys have to be in a really solid relationship and trust that 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 little bit of break that you're giving them is all that they're doing, you know. So it's funny you say that because, you you know, what really sucks about being a coach sometimes and, and that happening is that, of course, the client doesn't tell you in the middle of the week when you can fix it it's like they wait all the way until sunday and like now we have real problems to fix <laughs> yeah so here's a here's kind of a, a tangent off of this in in the scope of a contest prep that includes logical diet breaking periods what is the role of something like a refeed day or a cheat meal if you are taking those diet breaks within kind of the entire plan do we still need to be taking refeeds? Do we still need to be taking cheat meals? And maybe we just differentiate between those two, the old burger and fries. Well, I think the cheat meal thing is one, you probably see some coaches do it thinking it's going to do what a diet break does. And right. then two, some people might do it just because psychologically the athlete just can't handle it anymore. Right. Um, but like, okay, so like for me, for example, with dieting, most of the time I do some sort of carb cycling. So I don't find myself in those situations where I constantly need to add food back or um, do diet breaks or do because every couple of days they're having a refeed. And what that's allowing me to do is like really push a deficit for a couple of days in a row, feed back up and then push a deficit again, feed back up. And I kind of like that approach because, one, it gives something mentally for the client to look forward to. They get through their three days, and then they know, oh, shit, yeah, I have a high day coming up. They have the high day. They feel re-energized, whether it's mental or not. Um, they feel good to push another two days, and then they know, again, they have another refeed, for example. Um, I probably use way more refeed days, high days, than I do diet breaks. I think the cheat meal is is strictly psychological for – most specifically for people who don't enjoy dieting and don't enjoy eating clean. You know, there, there's people who just expect a free meal every single week, um, not, not for any type of psych, uh, scientific reasoning or even a metabolic reasoning. They, they It's nothing like that. They just don't want to eat the same thing over and over again, and they really want that – um, that donut or, or that burger or something like that. They're very, um, you know, food focused, if you will. So 
I, I think that that's really the only time where um, an actual cheat meal would, would be utilized if they're about to break, if they're psychologically about to break. See, but I could I could make the counter argument that every time I've given a cheat meal to that kind of client, it turns into a two to three day binge. No, you're you not wrong. What guys, you know what, guys? Fuck you. Don't take away my cheat meal. When I'm <laughs> lean, my metabolism's on fire and I can feel it. Churning, right? churning and burning. Yeah. Yeah, that's no. why I'm always scared to give cheat meals because I've had such bad experience in the past. You know, it, it, like it took one guy to ruin it for everybody, right? Like, yeah. I can't, I can't feel the confidence to give somebody go have whatever you want to eat without in the back of my head knowing that they go out to eat, they come home, and then it keeps going. Well, especially yeah. me, as I get more and more focused with gut health, it's like even if I wanted to give you that food. We know that you're going to, you know, have a bunch of inflammation and digestive issues from whatever you're choosing. And that's going to set us back like an entire seven to ten days of prep. Um, so, you know, when I've done it uh, with, with clients nowadays, I actually get a lot more specific. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously going to be something safer than others. Um, a pizza and ice cream, I'm, I'm never going to, never going to allow that to be used. See, a, see here's where I'm going to push back, Matt. Um, last year, fantasy football, week nine, <laughs> I scored the least amount of points. So I had to eat nine McFish sandwiches. After I finished my, after I finished my ninth, I ran a sub seven minute mile. Explain, how did I do something like that? Fueled on you, tartar sauce. You wanted to puke, so you tried to run a fast. Wrong answer. The only correct answer is built different. Paul, what were you going to say? So I love this conversation about cheat meals because, you know, I've, I, and we probably all have, we've all been clients before, right? And I remember uh, my, I had this coach that every 10 days I, I would get a refeed meal. And he was like, yeah, just be responsible. Get a burger, fries, maybe Sunday cone. And it was never that, right? I would just, I would just go off the rails, right? And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, oh, I forgot to weigh in for a couple days, you know? And that's always a giveaway for me when I check a client sheet and I see like, I'm like, oh, you're always great about your weigh-ins. You miss two or three weigh-ins, right? And you're like, something, something's not right here. Um, yeah. And uh, I remember when uh, I met Ryan was very early into me becoming a coach and I asked Ryan to coach me and uh, he gave me all my, my, my diet stuff. And I think Ryan has very different views on, on apparently by this, by this podcast and us working together, he has different views. But back then he was, I, I looked at my uh, sheet and I was like, oh, I have actual macros for my refeed. And uh, he was like, yeah. And he was like, but also don't take them. Right. Uh, and, and I was like, what, what do you mean? I, I can't diet without a cheat meal or a refeed. And it, it blasted my mind. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. How am I going to survive this? And Ryan was just like, you don't need them. I was like, do you want this diet to take longer? And he was, he was like, you're just going to take longer if you start taking all these super high calorie refeeds and, uh, you know, and you binge and all that stuff. And so that was like my first diet where I actually didn't take any high days or refeeds. And 
I was like, wow, like it, it, this went way better than I thought it would. And I actually transformed my mindset from I have to do this every week or every couple weeks to like, I, I actually don't need this. Like people are just telling themselves they need it. But right. like you absolutely can get through a whole diet, lose a significant amount of weight, get really lean without any high days or cheat meals or refeeds. And these things can be good if used strategically and, and implemented, but um, they can also slow things down, right? And they they can have potentially negative effects as well if, if not used well. Now, I will say kind of as a counter to that, and this will be like my only counter, because I 100% agree with everything you guys are saying. Back to that, you know, psychological food-focused individual. You know, if you if let's say they they do follow everything and you restrict them for 16 to 20 weeks, um, that post-show rebound might be really really bad because now they've made a list of every single restaurant and every single meal that they have to eat in in a matter of 48 hours post-show. Um, and it becomes like a challenge. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope, you know, sometimes you kind of have to compromise, uh, and, you know, give them that one meal at 10 weeks out so that they follow a perfect reverse, you know, it's kind of like weighing your options and, and working with each individual client the best you can. Um, but a hundred percent, they don't need it. It's just like, no, I, I want, I'm 100% with you. There's so many benefits to having some sort of relief period when it comes to any of this training, food, like any sport, you know? Um, so, yeah, definitely. I can see that. And some people, you know, it, it can also hinder their relationships because, you know, that they might go out on a date night with their significant other once a week or something like that. And then in prep they've now gone you know eight weeks without that date night and plus between peds and training and stuff things are getting kind of tough at home um so so at that point you know it might actually relieve a lot of stress to to allow them to do that you know no more date night you guys get walks together so you can get your steps in that's a date night now you know what i'll tell people too like when they're uh when i'm telling them about the steps and what I want them to do. Uh, I'm also like, by the way, this could be an opportunity to be, to talk more to your significant other than you have in like the past six months because, (laughs) because like, you know, like you, you're just fucking there walking and a lot of people end up, they're like, yeah, like, damn, I didn't realize how much we didn't talk through like a normal day. (laughs) Yep. Well, not to change the subject too much, but I, 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 Getting back to your point, Paul, I think that I see the importance of diet breaks and refeeds as uh, later on in the diet kind of thing, as opposed to early on when body fat is higher. um, I think it's safer to lose at a faster rate, especially for enhanced individuals, a lot safer to lose when you have higher body fat. And then you can kind of pepper in the refeeds and the diet breaks later on in the diet when body fat starts to get lower and when you want to slow down the rate of loss anyway that's how how i've always uh how i've always operated there and i think it does well for the psychology of the client 
early on in the diet, they see, oh, I'm losing, you know, two pounds a week. That's awesome. I'm really stripping the fat. At the end of a diet, when psychologically they're off the rails, they see a two pound loss and they're like, oh, it must be 100% muscle. I must be losing nothing but muscle. It can't be any fat at this point. It's funny. I, I think you're, I think that's a fine approach. I think it's a, a really good one. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do like to cover some ground first, you know, I definitely don't want to get in there and like three weeks in, we've only lost four pounds and we're just like, all right, we're taking a break. You know, <laughs> right, right. And also I, I, I don't think it like hurts, you know, to have some early ish into the diet, you know, and just kind of going back to the whole, uh, why, why wait till we have problems? Like why, why break the machine first? Like, isn't it better to not have to fix the machine and just do, do its maintenance and keep it running? Um, well, but, uh, no, yeah, I, I think there's utility in both approaches and your approach. Um, because I've seen you as a coach, like, I know it's a good approach because you're really good at getting people on stage in, in good condition, you know? And that's kind of like you keep that at the forefront and you make sure that you get a good bulk of work done first, right? I accept that. I think it also <laughs> depends on the um, what, what their off-season was like. You know, did they come to you at 16 weeks out? for a prep, which is what a lot of people do, or did you actually work their off season with them, work at building their metabolic rate and, you know, get lab work, make sure that their hormones are optimized before starting a prep. I think all of those really play a role too. If they had just competed three months ago, then at four weeks into prep, they, they might need a diet break already because they didn't even have time to, to fix the adaptations from last prep. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't even do a prep with someone in that situation, but we all we all are put in those situations and we know it. So I, I think that that, that learn. plays a role too. If, yeah, and if you are an athlete who wants a shorter, pre shorter preps as your career goes along, it's in your best interest to stay with your current coach long term so that you can build that relationship. The first prep that you do with a coach is going to be your longest. You need to learn how e each of you operates. Your coach right. needs to learn how you respond, whether it's to PEDs, to the diet, to cardio, to training, all of that. You stay with your coach, learn from each other. Each prep gets easier, shorter, and more productive. Absolutely. Are Great. there... Here's our last little diet break question here. Are there athletes either from a psychological or a physiological sense that you've seen that you've worked with where diet breaks were just, it couldn't happen. It wasn't something that you were going to implement with an individual. Yeah. Ryan is like that. Zaris. Ryan's too he, dialed in. He, he, likes he, yeah, he's psychologically so dialed in that if I suggested we needed a diet break or refeed, it was, the most pushback I'd get like it was it, it, that's why I believe in that all in mentality can really hurt a prep too because the sec so he was just let's go let's go let's go the second I got him to like consider doing a high day he took the high day he gained like 14 pounds the next day and it was just because he was so depleted that he just had he had every retention issue you could have. 
yeah. uh, from like only like 300 grams of carbs, but he just pushed so hard for yeah. too many weeks that then that got us nervous for his carb up. What's going to happen yeah. when we carb you up? I was going to say, do you think there's possibly a role there with the the peak for nationals? Because he came out of the qualifier with that same standard czarist mentality of like, all right, we got X amount of days. Let's go even harder for these days. Yeah, I think what happened with that was we thought he was going hard enough to where he was just as depleted as before his qualifier. So we treated it the same, but he probably wasn't as depleted as we had thought. So that's what caused that overshoot and for him to spill. But that's where I think like with some clients, it's hard to give them a diet break because mentally they think they're not moving anymore because, uh, you know, they're not dieting. They're not doing cardio. They're not doing those things that they think they should be doing in that moment that mentally, I think for some guys and girls, it might throw them off track if anything, that it takes them some time to get the mentality back that, okay, now it's time to push. Like, it's okay to let off gas. I try not to even tell, say the word diet break anymore. <clears throat> I just say, hey, these are your macros this week, and this is what I'm doing with cardio. Like, <laughs> you know? Jedi. I don't even Jedi talk. level. Yeah, I don't, I don't even say diet break anymore because of the pushback. And if I do get pushback, I'm like, you know, I'm like, it's okay like we're this is just one week out of many we're gonna get right back to it you know um basically what i'm saying is i i it's like somebody gives me pushback i don't care like <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> i i don't care what you think um <laughs> i'm not as ruthless <laughs> as you <laughs> but what i will say is i'm sorry matt last thing, last thing. <laughs> but what i will say is for sure there are some people that shouldn't or I don't want to say shouldn't. It's tough to want to give them give them the diet break because of what you said, Matt. They will go overboard and they'll do stuff they're not supposed to do. Yeah, it's got to be a trust thing. And my athlete Tom, um, who, who won Junior USA's, he's very much like that. You know, he went and a half six months without a cheat meal. He doesn't like them. Like I would bring it up to him, and he'd be like, "Honestly, I'd just rather more rice and oatmeal." Uh, so he was very, very meticulous, and he didn't want to skew anything. He's all about consistency, sleeps the exact same time every day, eats at the exact same time every day, drinks the same exact water every day, and he just nails that consistently. So he didn't like those the idea of variables, um, but he is extremely coachable. And so um, with my approach of, like, like I said, uh, not planning ahead, but rather adapting to the scenario – it's easier to get them to buy into a diet break because, you know, they're, we're doing it because they're not seeing results. So then it's just like, well, we can either keep doing what's not working or we could try this and see if it works. And that usually is just like, okay, yeah, that, that works. Um, and usually because we're doing biofeedback during the diet break, they're seeing that it's helping. And after they've seen it work once, they're all about it moving forward. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So it's really just a, it's an initial buy-in. You know, once you show them that it works. I yeah. try to avoid it with um, – it's more times than not it's female clients. 
like you guys have worked with those female clients who like come to you and they're like, I want to do a contest prep because I saw my friend do it and they've been like lifting weights for like six months and don't don't have a single like ounce of muscle on their body. And you're like, okay, here we go. Let's cross our fingers and hope this somehow goes well. And you have to diet them like super, super hard. I'll try to avoid the diet breaks with them because with hunger being out of control with their response, it's just going to be an absolute nightmare of weight gain, stress. With that, I'll usually just pull the cardio for a week or two and and and, and go from there. But yeah, I think the I think the worst peak I ever had is when I did the Zaris approach. I did a qualifier show. I looked pretty solid. I was like, I'm gonna go so hard these next two weeks. I'm gonna show up, and then I just ate like a rice cake and was just absolutely blown out water buffalo for the next three days. Like, all right, well, here we go. Here goes nothing. Uh, it's funny you say that with uh, like first time competitors and I could maybe even if somebody s- said this, I'd be like, well, it's not an awful point. Um, you guys remember your first like hard diet, you know, it, it was your most motivated and you could just I remember mine. I, I hired a coach and I did my first diet ever. We dieted for a year straight nice. and uh like, uh, yeah, like literally half a pound to a pound a week for a year straight, oh. um, 13 months actually. And I could not do that today. Right. So yeah, I don't know. that goes into it too. You know, first time dieters, the, the, the adaptation is not going to happen so quickly. So you can, you can run a first time dieter into the ground and it's going to go okay like you can diet them unbroken for 16 weeks usually and they're going to keep losing but it's usually that second year third year those multiple preps where the adaptations have accumulated that um that's where it really needs to be um you know more utilized but i always say you know novice competitors are pretty much the easiest because you just keep dropping their food and up in cardio their body will respond and the best thing is they don't have anything to compare the experience to do so they just they're just flying blind they're like hey i feel like this like oh that's normal you're fine just you know keep going just keep going you're fine but then you inherit that client right from some other coach and you start their diet and they're like why are we not doing 30 minutes of cardio every single day? And why are my calories so hot? Right. And you explain yeah. it to them and then they drop their calories need, and start doing cardio. Zero carbs anyway. to get shredded. Zero <laughs> carbs. All right, Matt, let's wrap this thing up. We were talking about it before we started recording, but I didn't get the full spiel. I had to step away. Give us, uh, bring us up to speed on the state of the master classes. What was the last one and what do you guys have planned for future classes? And anyone who is interested in those, those links are always in the description of these videos, by the way. Yeah. So, um, our, our last class that, uh, recently happened was part one of the, um, comprehensive blood work. And so basically we, we went over an entire panel and we went over the um, majority of, of things that you'll see on a comprehensive lab panel. We compared the normal ranges given on blood work to uh, what we believe are optimal ranges, which, you know, been shown in research. We explained to people why it's important to not just pay attention to normal ranges, but rather look at the optimal ranges. Um, we also gave some insight on uh, some common reasons we see suboptimal readings in each individual um, department. 
Um, and then we also talked about symptoms in comparison to lab work, you know, because sometimes people are very fixated on the numbers, but, you know, lab work is very accurate, um, but symptoms are equally important. I've seen multiple lab works where it looks absolutely perfect that all their numbers look great. But when I look at their symptoms on an intake form, it's screaming imbalances and issues. Uh, so we have to kind of pay attention to both of those. And, and we went over all of that. Um, part two is going to be happening next month in October. Uh, and part two is going to be more of a deeper dive into addressing those suboptimal uh, situations and, and how to improve those things, whether it be through lifestyle changes, diet changes, potentially supplementation, stuff like that. Um, and we're going to have a couple of case studies to show, you know, circumstances of the past. Um, and something that we often do in the courses is we usually test individuals at the end to make sure they have a really good grasp of that knowledge. So we'll probably have some hypothetical case studies for, for everyone to take part in as well to make sure that they, you know, really understand the whole thing. Obviously, you know, something we've talked about in here too, um, we do have a disclaimer that we are not doctors and there is a separation between, you know, what what's in a coach's realm and what's in a doctor's realm. And so, you know, the things that we're touching on are more so the, the common issues we see and not trying to remove the fact that, Sometimes physicians do need to get involved. Physicians, meh. And then I saw you had a you had another one that you posted up as well. Like you were going into a little bit more of the nutritional realm. You were starting with a, a, a macros masterclass. Yeah, so I think we're also going to be doing um, a macros masterclass. Um, that's more so focused on uh, Gentry side of things. She she works a lot more with lifestyle clients. Um, so that one's going to be, you know, tailored to lifestyle clients, uh, or maybe, you know, new up and coming coaches who are still trying to get a gauge on formulating a, a diet for an individual and stuff like that. But we're going to talk about nutrient timing, um, and quality of foods, you know, not replacing rice with donuts specifically and how, you know, processed foods don't necessarily give us the same benefit as whole foods. Um, so we're, we're looking at doing that as well. And we have a couple others in the works down the road. Um, I've had a huge demand for uh, a gut health course. So we'll definitely be doing that. Um, I do have a metabolic adaptations course uh, that I want to go over to help guide people on appropriate reverse dieting out, out of a show or out of a diet phase, because that's something that, um, seems to be there's a lot of misleading information about that um so those are those are the ones that are upcoming in the next couple months too nice and i think what's most impressive about these master classes is the amount of information that you're packing into that you know 90 to 120 minute uh little, little spiel that you do there so i mean you're looking all the coaches that are listening to this the exercise science majors you're getting your exercise science degree here from uh, Professor Matt in a nice condensed, easy to understand and apply form. So you're doing the Lord's work here. I appreciate it. And, and you know, that that's our goal. We try to give as much information as we can to obviously make it worthwhile. And, you know, we, we want people to walk away feeling like they have 
a mastering of, of the topics that that we go over. Um, so that, that's that's definitely the goal. Right on, Paul Dom. Anything you want to leave the people with? No, you should sign up for Matt's class. Most definitely, <laughs> Dom. What do you call a fake noodle? A foodle? I don't know. An impasta. All right, guys, make sure you like, comment, subscribe for that one right there. We will see you on the next one. In the meantime, stay gifted, folks. Bye. See you guys.